Podcasting from the heartland of America in the state of Missouri, this is Recovering Faith, a show about increasing or regaining faith, trusting God when it doesn't appear to make sense to do so, and coming to Christianity from a non-Christian or pseudo-Christian worldview. I am your host, Gene Curl, and I wholeheartedly welcome you to this show. Hello, and welcome back to the Recovering Faith Podcast. This is the third part in a series on the problems of the Book of Mormon. The book that Joseph Smith said was the most correct book on earth and said that it contained the fullness of the everlasting gospel and claimed that a person will get closer to God by abiding by its precepts than by those of any other book, including the Bible. For those of you who are not familiar with Mormonism, the Book of Mormon is the foundational book of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, colloquially known as Mormons because of the Book of Mormon. And the entire structure and validity of the Church rests on the Book of Mormon, and the Church says that it is the keystone of their religion. The Book of Mormon is, by LDS tradition, a work of ancient scripture comparable to the Bible written or inscribed on golden pages that were made into a tablet by the ancient inhabitants of the Americas, a supposed Semitic people, and delivered to Joseph Smith by an angel in the early 1800s. The same angel, taking the golden plates back after Smith translated them by looking at a seer stone in his hat. Given the translation process, uh, which was looking into a hat at a rock and seeing the inscription from the rock, uh, from the book, and then the English translation, uh, it never made sense to me that Joseph Smith had to have the physical plates in the first place. And if you ever go to an LDS history site or look at the their artwork or anything, it always shows Joseph Smith sitting at a table with the golden plates in front of him, and he's... Uh, the scribe is sitting next to him and he's translating the plates by looking at him and giving the information to a scribe. And, uh, of course, that's not actually how the church history says that it happened. The church history says that um, they actually denied this for a long time but then recently admitted it. And uh, critics of the church have said this for a long time, that how he originally said he translated the book was he didn't even have the the plate uh, the pages in front of him. He took his special stone he had, he called it a seer stone, and he put it in his hat. And then he put his face in the hat, so he couldn't see any light or anything. He could just see the darkness in the hat. And he said that the inscription from the golden plates would appear on the rock, and then the English translation. And he said that he would give that to the scribe, and then once the scribe would write it down, he'd repeat it back to him, and if what was written was correct, it would move on to the next set of characters in the English translation. But if what was said wasn't correct, it would not move on. And that is how the Book of Mormon is translated. Uh, The reason that I'm picking on the Book of Mormon is that the LDS Church claims to be a Christian church, 
while they're at the same time teaching doctrines that are not only contrary to those taught in the Bible, but are also blasphemous in the highest level, including the doctrine that God used to be a human man and gained his godhood status by following the rules of his God, and that if we follow all of the rules, we can be God someday as well. The LDS Church freely admits that either the Book of Mormon and the Church are the greatest news or the greatest fraud. And if the Book of Mormon or Joseph Smith as a prophet were to be disproved, then the entire Church would be proved to be nothing more than a fraud, which it is. As a Christian, I want everyone to know of and know the Jesus of the Bible, and to serve him that they may be saved and not serve some bastardized version of Jesus that can't offer salvation, much less the empty promises of becoming a god. God never intended for us to be gods, and created us to bring glory to him and to worship him, and of course to be loved by him. My greatest desire for everyone in the LDS Church is that they would renounce the false teachings of the Church and embrace true Christianity, be born again, and become saved. The first part in this series, I covered the introduction to the Book of Mormon through the end of 1st Nephi. Uh, the second part, I covered the entire book of 2nd Nephi, and in this section, I will cover the book of Joseph. Before I dive into the Book of Mormon, I want to talk a little about, about something that has been in the news lately in regards to the LDS Church and the direction in which they are going. Recently in a press conference or conferences, Russell M. Nelson, the current LDS president, said that he had a revelation that the church and its members are not to be referred to by Mormon, Mormonism, Latter-day Saints, or LDS, and that they are only to be referred to as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and its members are to be referred to as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Nelson also announced that the popular pageants of the church, such as the Hill Cumorah pageant, are to be done away with. Uh, I think most of the popular ones, like Hill Cumorah, they're going to let it run through the end of 2020 season, and then after that there'll be no more. Uh, perhaps the most puzzling thing that Nelson has said recently is, quote, If you think the church has been fully restored, you're just seeing the beginning. Unquote. What I find puzzling about that statement is that it has always been taught that the church was restored to be exactly like the church that Jesus Christ himself set up when he was on the earth. But Jesus set up his church in three years, and the LDS church believes that it fell away at the death of the original apostles. So, according to their views, it started in approximately 30 AD and ended in approximately AD 95 when John, the last apostle, died of natural causes in Ephesus after his escaping his banishment to the island of Patmos. When you think about it, with all the miraculous things the church claims to have happened in its history in over 200 years, they have not been able to accomplish what the apostles did in approximately 65 years. The thing about the claim that the church is still being restored that any reasonable person would balk at is even how the church was when it was first organized on April 6, 1830, differed greatly from the traditional Christianity and the Bible, 
And the more so-called revelations the church receives, the farther away from true Christianity they become. Some of what President Nelson is doing, while it does nothing to align the church with true Christianity, makes the church appear more Christian. I'm a fly fisherman, and I tie all of my own flies. And I do my best to make my flies look as natural and as much uh, like the real thing as possible. But no matter how realistic I make my flies, they are still not the real thing, and they are extremely dangerous to the fish. Similarly, the recent changes to the LDS Church do not change even a single doctrine to make them more Christian, but those changes are attempts to make them look more Christian. Some of those changes are getting rid of pageants, stressing that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is to be used instead of LDS or Mormon, getting rid of home and visiting teaching, and for those of you who aren't LDS, uh, home and visiting teaching is when uh, it's this tradition they had in the church is that if every family, two priesthood brethren from the church will come visit you once a month to make sure that you're following the rules and that you have everything you need. And then the adult women in that household will also get visited by what's called a Relief Society. So two ladies from the church will come visit them once a month as well. And... Uh, Besides all of that, they also renamed the LDS Church News to Church News, and they even renamed the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. The singers will now be called the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square. With all of these changes, I have to wonder if the church will, at some future point, remove the angel Moroni from atop its many temples. Recently, Wendy Nelson, the wife of the Mormon prophet, said, Quote, I have seen him changing in the last ten months. It is as though he has been unleashed. He is free to finally do what he came to earth to do. He's free to follow through with the things he's been concerned about but could never do. Now that he's president of the church, he can do these things. Unquote. So, in other words, the direction that Nelson is taking the church is not where the previous prophets were taking it which begs the question, why would God tell Nelson something contrary to do, a contrary to that what he told the other presidents of the church? It sounds more like Nelson is now free to achieve his personal agenda, an agenda that was not in line with the previous president's agenda, and therefore was not allowed until he became the president. Okay, enough of that. It's time to dive into the book of Jacob, which starts off with a doctrine that was solidly renounced later, by the Doctrine and Covenants, which is one of the canonized works of the LDS Church. In the Book of Mormon, one of the books is the Book of Jacob, and in Jacob it says, And now it came to pass that the people of Nephi, under the reign of the second king, began to grow hard in their hearts and indulge themselves somewhat in wicked practices such as like unto David of old, desiring many wives and concubines, and also Solomon his son. In the following chapters, it goes into great detail about how much of a, of a sin polygamous marriages are, and that they are an abomination in the sight of God. Verses 17 and 18 of the first chapter of Jacob talk about there being a temple, and how Jacob and his brothers were consecrated priests. I mentioned in great detail in my last two segments 
But the Book of Mormon's claims that these people were living the law of Moses, uh, but the fact that, or the Book of Mormon does claim that these people were living the law of Moses, but the fact that they have a temple anywhere other than the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and that any of the line of Lehi, who were supposedly descendants of Joseph, were given the priesthood, is proof that these people are not only not living the law of Moses, but are doing things that are specifically prohibited by it. The only people to have the priesthood are those from the line of Levi, and God said that it was a statute forever. Jacob gathered up his people so that he could tell them their sins, and he made no bones about how serious their sins were in the sight of God. But behold, hearken unto me, and know that by the help of the all-powerful Creator of heaven and earth, I can tell you concerning your thoughts, how that ye are beginning to labor in sin, which sin appeareth very abominable unto me, yea, and abominable unto God. Yea, it grieveth my soul, and causeth me to shrink with shame before the presence of my Maker, that I must testify unto you concerning the wickedness of your hearts. And it also and also it grieveth me that I must use so much boldness of speech concerning you before your wives and your children, many of whose feelings are exceedingly tender and chaste and delicate before God, which thing is pleasing unto God. And it supposeth me that they have come up hither to hear the pleasing word of God, yea, the word which healeth the wounded soul. Wherefore, it burdeneth my soul that I should be constrained because of the strict commandments which I have received from God, to admonish you according to your crimes, to enlarge the wounds of those who are already wounded, instead of consoling and healing their wounds. And those who have not been wounded, instead of feasting upon the pleasing word of God, have daggers placed to pierce their souls and wound their delicate minds. But notwithstanding the greatness of the task, I must do according to the strict commands of God, and tell you concerning your wickedness and abominations in the presence of the pure in heart, and the broken heart, and under the glance of the piercing eye of the Almighty God. Wherefore, I must tell you the truth according to the plainness of the word of God. For behold, as I inquired of the Lord, thus came the word unto me, saying, Jacob, get thou up unto the temple on the morrow, and declare the word which I shall give thee unto this people. Jacob went on to tell the people how great their sin of greed was, and after telling them of how much condemnation they were under for it, he goes on to tell them that, if that was their biggest sin, he would rejoice, but that they were committing a much larger sin. And he goes on. And now I make an end of speaking unto you concerning this pride. For were it not that I must speak unto you concerning a grosser crime, my heart would rejoice exceedingly because of you. But the word of God burdens me because of your grosser crimes. For behold, thus saith the Lord, this people begin to wax in iniquity. They understand not the scriptures, for they seek to excuse themselves in committing whoredoms because of the things which were written concerning David and Solomon his son. Behold, David and Solomon truly had many wives and concubines, which thing was abominable before me, saith the Lord. Wherefore, thus saith the Lord, I have led this people forth out of the land of Jerusalem by the power of mine arm, that I might raise up unto me a righteous branch from the fruit of the loins of Joseph. Wherefore, I the Lord will not suffer that this people shall do like unto them of old. Wherefore, my brethren, hear me, and hearken unto the words of the Lord. For there shall not any man among you have save it be one wife, and concubines he shall have none. 
For I, the Lord, delight in the chastity of women, and whoredoms are an abomination before me, saith the Lord of hosts. Wherefore, this people shall keep my commandment, saith the Lord of hosts, or cursed be the land for their sakes. For behold, I, the Lord, have seen the sorrow, and heard the mourning of the daughters of my people in the land of Jerusalem, yea, in all the lands of my people, because of the wickedness and abomination of their husbands. And I will not suffer, saith the Lord of hosts, that the cries of the fair daughters of this people, which I have led out of the land of Jerusalem, shall come up unto me against the men of my people, saith the Lord of hosts. For they shall not lead away captive of the daughters of my people because of their tenderness, save they shall visit them with a sore curse, even unto destruction. For they shall not commit whoredoms like unto them of old, saith the Lord of hosts. And now, behold, my brethren, ye know these commandments were given to our father, Lehi. Wherefore, ye have known them before, and ye have come unto great condemnation, for ye have done these things which ye ought not to have done. Behold, ye have done greater iniquity than the Lamanites, our brethren. Ye have broken the hearts of your tender wives and lost the confidence of your children because of your bad examples before them. And the sobbings of their hearts ascendeth up to heaven against you, up to God against you. And because of the strictness of the word of God, which cometh down against you, many hearts died, pierced with deep wounds. Notice that Jacob specifically said that having more than one wife was an abomination, and that they were those among them who tried to justify their actions because of David and Solomon, but that they were not to justify themselves based on what David and Solomon did, because it was a sin and an abomination when they did it, and it was still a sin and an abomination. When Joseph Smith wrote the Book of Mormon, I doubt that the thought had yet occurred to him that he could use his position to lure women into his bed, nor do I think that he would have done so at that point, even if he could. But Joseph changed over, to, over the course of his life and his leadership, and sadly, it was for the worse. When Joseph Smith wrote the, book, wrote the Doctrine of Covenants, he completely backpedaled on what he said in the Book of Mormon about polygamy and even said that Solomon, that David and Solomon, that is, were justified in doing it, a blatant contradiction to the words of the book of Jacob. The Lamanites were supposedly a wicked people, but Jacob said that the sin of having multiple wives and having concubines was a, a sin that was much greater than those committed by the Lamanites. By 1843, despite the fact that Joseph Smith publicly denied it, Polygamy was official church doctrine, and it was taught that in order for a man to go to the upper level of heaven, that he had to practice polygamy, which was referred to as the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. In the celestial glory, there are three heavens or degrees. In order to obtain the highest, a man must enter into this order of priesthood, meaning the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. And if he does not, he cannot obtain it. He may enter into the other, but that is the end of his kingdom, and he cannot have an increase. Doctrine and Covenants, section 131, verses 1 through 5. Section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants is where the bulk of the supposed commandment on polygamy is contained, or as they call it, the New and Everlasting Covenant. And below is the official statement, or, yeah, and what I'm going to read is the official statement and the explanation of the section that is the that is the heading of the section of uh, section 132, which is, again, a canonized work. And the section heading reads, Revelation given through Joseph Smith the Prophet at Nauvoo, Illinois, recorded July 12, 1843. 
relating to the new and everlasting covenant, including the eternity of the marriage covenant and the principles of plural marriage. Although the revelation was recorded in 1843, evidence indicates that some of the principles involved in this revelation were known unto the prophet as early as 1831. See Official Declaration 1. 1 through 6. Exaltation is gained through the new and everlasting covenant. 7 through 14. The terms and condition of that covenant are set forth. 15 through 20. Celestial marriage and a continuation of the family unit enable men to become gods. See, it says right there in their heading that the church believes that through polygamy and following the rules that men can become gods. Well, there's a lot of LDS people or members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that deny uh, that the church believes that. They might not believe it personally, but and they might not know that the church believes it, but that's because they're not informed. And some people know the church believes it, but outright lies about it. On my mission, I was told to lie about it and not tell people that the church believed they could be gods. Uh, but it is right there in the section heading of chapter of section 132 of Doctrine and Covenants that they believe they can become gods. And it was also well established in other places in LDS doctrine. But anyhow, moving on, 21 through 25, the straight and narrow way lead to eternal lives. 26 through 27, the law is given relative to blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. 28 through 39, promises of eternal increase and exaltation are made to prophets and saints in all ages. 40 through 47, Joseph Smith is given the power to bind and sail on earth and in heaven. 48 through 50, the Lord seals upon him his exaltation. 51 through 57, Emma is counseled to be faithful and true. 58 through 66, laws governing plural marriage are set forth. And uh, before I go on here, it's important to note there are actually several places in the Doctrine and Covenants where um, God supposedly spoke through Joseph Smith to tell Emma Smith, Joseph Smith's wife, to repent, and that if she didn't repent, she'd be destroyed. And if you're wondering what her great sin was, it was that once she found out that Joseph Smith was practicing in polygamy, she was mad. And she was told that she had to accept it because it was the will of God, and that if she didn't accept it, she'd be destroyed. So, it's convenient that Joseph Smith somehow received a revelation to keep his wife in line. It doesn't sound like really a revelation to me. It sounds just more like he wanted to abuse his power. But, anyhow. From the church history... It's clear that Joseph Smith denied his polygamous relationships, not just to the public, but also to his first and only legitimate wife, Emma. There are some versions, uh, verses in this section uh, where God supposedly tells Emma that if she doesn't accept polygamy or allow Joseph Smith to have more, than, more wives, that she'll be destroyed. There are also verses that talk about those who practice polygamy becoming gods, as I mentioned. And... Though, as I said, some LDS people deny that the church holds that for doctrine. Uh, but it's clear in this section and in other places that uh, if there is any doubt, that it explicitly says in this section that they believe that people can become gods. I don't have to go have time to go into all of that, the polygamy or all, any of that else. But uh, um, I plan on having a polygamy episode sometime in the future to discuss uh, not only the polygamy and the lies about it, but also the fact that 
In addition to the polygamy, Joseph Smith did several things that were specifically prohibited by God, such as taking a woman and her mother to be both of them to be wives, and also taking marrying sisters as wives. And those are some things that are specifically prohibited in the book of Leviticus. But <clears throat> but anyhow, the Doctrine and Covenants um, sections I'm going to read from the Doctrine and Covenants section 132 are those that specifically contradict uh, the book of Jacob and the book of Mormon. Verily thus saith the Lord unto you, my servant Joseph, that inasmuch as ye have inquired of my hand to know and understand wherein, I the Lord justified my servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and also Moses, David, and Solomon, my servants, as touching the principle and doctrine of having many wives and concubines. David also received many wives and concubines, and also Solomon and Moses, my servants, as also many other of my servants from the beginning of creation until this time. And in nothing did they sin, save in those things which they received not of me. David's wives and concubines were given unto him of me by the hand of Nathan, my servant, and others of the prophets who held, had the keys of this power. And in none of those things did he sin against me, save in the case of Uriah and his wife. Doctrine and Covenants, section 132, 1, and then 38 through 39. In the third chapter of Jacob, Jacob continues with his discourse on the sin of polygamy and tells the Nephites that if they don't repent, their skins will be darker than Lamanites and that they will be destroyed. But behold, I, Jacob, would speak unto you that are pure in heart. Look unto God with firmness of mind and pray unto him with exceeding faith, and he will console you in your afflictions. And he will plead your cause and send down justice upon those who seek your destruction. O all ye that are pure in heart, lift up your heads and receive the pleasing word of God and feast upon his love, for ye may, if your minds are firm forever. But woe, woe unto you that are not pure in heart, that are filthy this day before God. For except ye repent, the land is cursed for your sakes, and the Lamanites, which are not filthy like unto you, nevertheless they are cursed with the sore cursing, shall scourge you even unto destruction. And the time speedily cometh, that except ye repent, ye shall, uh, they shall possess the land of your inheritance. And the Lord God will lead away the righteous out from among you. Behold the Lamanites, your brethren, whom you hate because of their filthiness and cursing, which hath come upon their skins, are more righteous than you, for they have not forgotten the commandment of the Lord which is given unto our father, that they should have, save it be one wife, and concubines they should have none. And there should be there should not be whoredoms committed among them. And now this commandment they observe to keep. Wherefore, because of this observance in keeping this commandment, the Lord God will not destroy them but will be merciful unto them, and one day they shall become a blessed people. Behold, their husbands love their wives, and their wives love their husband, and their husbands and wives love their children. And their unbelief and their hatred toward you is because of the iniquity of their fathers. Wherefore, how much better are you than they in the sight of your great Creator? O my brethren, I fear that unless ye shall repent of your sins, that their skin will be whiter than yours, when ye shall be brought before them before the throne of God. Wherefore, a commandment I give unto you, which is the word of God, that ye revile no more against them because of the darkness of their skins, neither shall ye revile against them because of their filthiness. But ye shall remember your own filthiness, and remember that filthiness came, that their filthiness came because of their fathers. Wherefore, ye shall remember your children, how that ye have grieved their hearts because of the example you have set before them. 
And also remember that ye may, because of your filthiness, bring your children into destruction, and their sins be heaped upon your heads at the last day. Jacob chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Jacob also talks about grace in a manner that is not really spoken of in the Elias church today. Nevertheless, the Lord God showeth us our weakness that we may know that it is by his grace and his great condescension unto the children of man that we have power to do these things. Jacob 4, 7. Whenever anyone in the church asks difficult questions about the church, asks questions that have answers that are embarrassing to the church, wants to read in depth about the history of the church, or wants to investigate any of the church's doctrine past what is spoken of in Sunday school, they are quoted in Jacob 3.14 and told that if they ask questions or study quote-unquote deep doctrine, that, they w- that it will cause them to go astray and lose their salvation and exaltation. And that verse says, But behold, the Jews were stiff-necked people, and they despised the words of plainness, and killed the prophets, and sought for things that they could not understand. Wherefore, because of their blindness, which blindness came by looking beyond the mark, they must needs fall. For God hath taken away his plainness from them, and delivered unto them many things which they cannot understand, because they desired it. And because they desired it, God hath done it, that they may stumble. And that's Jacob 4.14. One of the many, one of the things that's interesting about this verse is that uh, true Christianity is simple and easy to understand, and that the LDS Church and its people despise it, particularly because they think it is too easy, and instead they teach complicated doctrines that are impossible to keep. Jacob 6.10 speaks of the traditional Christian view of hell, which, as I mentioned in previous installments, does not agree with current LDS theology on hell. And according to the power of justice, for justice cannot be denied, you must go away into that lake of fire and brimstone whose flames are unquenchable, and whose smoke ascendeth up forever and ever, which lake of fire and brimstone is endless torment. In the seventh chapter of Jacob, a man named Sherem accuses Jacob of not following the law of Moses and teaching the people not to follow the law of Moses, which, if you pay attention to the details in the Book of Mormon compared to the law of Moses, it's actually true but not for the reason Sherem said. Sherem did not think Jacob followed the law of Moses because he taught that a Christ should come. I mentioned in previous installments that it makes no sense for an angel of God to tell a Hebrew-speaking people that the name of the Messiah would be Christ because Christ is a title, not a name, and it's a Greek word. It's not logical to believe that an angel would have used a Greek word to describe things to a Hebrew-speaking people. A little later, there in that chapter, there's an exchange between Jacob and Cherub, and I've had almost that exact conversation with LDS people when they insist that LDS doctrines are of God and supported by the Bible. And it says, And I said unto him, Believest thou the scriptures? And he said, Yea. And I said unto him, Then you do not understand them. Jacob 7, 10 through 11. And now I say that about people, LDS people, when they say that, trying to tell me these things are, doctrines are supported by the Bible, and I tell them if they read the Bible, they don't understand it, because these doctrines of the LDS church, especially ones like, we're going to be gods, is not supported by the Bible. So, um, Now this is basically what the Book of Mormon thinks of the American Indians, which are believed to be the descendants of the Lamanites. And it came to pass 
that many means were devised to reclaim and restore the Lamanites to the knowledge of the truth. But all was vain, for they delighted in wars and bloodshed, and they had an eternal hatred against us, their brethren. And they sought by the power of their arms to destroy us continually. Jacob 7.24 The last verse in Jacob is a bit puzzling because there is a French word, adieu, thrown in, which is out of place to say the least. Apologists for the church say that since Joseph Smith was translating, he would have put words in that he was familiar with, but the church history says that the exact words uh, would appear on the rock in his hat, and if Joseph Smith were to say them wrong or to say the wrong words, or if a scribe were to write them wrong, that it would not progress in the next word. So under that view, God would have himself would have had to have chosen to use the word adieu, which since there's no really other French words in the book, it kind of doesn't make sense to have it right there. And the verse says, And I, Jacob, saw that I must soon go down to my grave. Wherefore I said unto my son Enos, Take those plates, and hold. And I told them the things which my brother Nephi had commanded me. And he promised obedience unto the commandments. And I make an end of my writing upon these plates, which, are, which writing has been small. And to the reader I bid farewell, hoping that many of my brethren may read my words. Brethren, adieu. Jacob 7.27 I might be pushing the time just a little, but I think I can get by with covering the book of Enos because it is only one chapter, and there's not a lot of crazy things to cover in that book, and there's not a lot of doctrine in that little book either. Enos was the son of Jacob, and he was not a righteous man and sinned a lot, and in the first few verses, it talks about how Enos wrestled mightily with the Lord in prayer for forgiveness of his sins. And then God speaks to him and tells him he was forgiven because of his faith in Jesus, not because of any works he had done, but he was forgiven by faith alone. So this is the traditional Christian view of grace and not the doctrine that the LDS Church teaches today, that if a person, that a person has to do specific works to be forgiven. And there came a voice unto me, saying, Enos, thy sins are forgiven thee, and thou shalt be blessed. And I, Enos, knew that God could not lie, wherefore my guilt was so upped away. And I said, Lord, how is it done? And he said unto me, Because of thy faith in Christ, whom thou hast never before heard nor seen. And many years passed away, um, many years pass away before he shall manifest himself in the flesh. Wherefore, go to, thy faith hath made thee whole. Enos 1, 5-8. An important thing to note here is that even if this history were true and Enos was forgiven of his faith, forgiven for his faith, he still would have had to live the law of Moses because this was approximately B.C. 420, so the law had not yet been fulfilled. The Bible is extremely clear on the issue, and people had to live the law of Moses until it was fulfilled. And even Jesus subjected himself to the law of Moses up until the point where he fulfilled it. All through the Book of Mormon, there is no evidence that the people lived the law of Moses, and there is ample evidence that they hold the law in low regard and acted like it had already been fulfilled. After Enos is forgiven, he wants to convert all the Lamanites to God, and God tells him that they will be brought to salvation at a future day. Though it does not seem that this was true, since few Native Americans have ever joined the LDS Church. Uh, verse 20 gives the disparaging, disparaging view of the American Indians says, And I bear record that the people of Nephi did seek diligently to restore the Lamanites unto the true faith in God. 
But our labors were vain, their hatred was fixed, and they were led by their evil nature, that they became wild and ferocious, and a bloody thirsty people, or a bloodthirsty people, I mean, full of idolatry and filthiness, feeding upon the beast of prey, dwelling in tents, and wandering about in the wilderness with a short scan girdle about their loins, and their heads shaven, and their skill was in the bow, and in the scimitar, and in the axe. And many of them did eat nothing save it was raw meat, and they were continually seeking to destroy us. In the second to last verse in this chapter, it mentions crops and animals that were not present in the Americas until the European colonization, and claims that the people of the Book of Mormon, a supposed pre-European colonization people, raised these crops and animals, such as wheat, cattle, goats, and horses, but there is no evidence that they were present in the Americas before the Europeans came over. It's interesting that nowhere in the Book of Mormon does it uh, mention any of the plants or animals that are actually native to North, Central, and South America. All evidence points to Joseph Smith being ignorant of the history of American plants and animals, and he wrote about things he was familiar with and knew about from growing up on a farm. Another error from verse 20 is that they say that they used the scimitar and the axe, but there is not one shred of evidence that people native to uh, the Americas ever used any metal weapons or tools of any kind before the European colonization. The people native to Americas used weapons made of stone and rock and bone, obsidian and wood, and other materials that were readily available. No one in the Americas, so far as any field of science knows about, ever used any metal or knew anything about smelting or metallurgy. Of course, being a simple farmer, Joseph Smith did not know about the types of tools and weapons that were present in the Americas in history. So he wrote about the things he knew about, and he thought that they just might have had them in those days. But he thought wrong. Thanks for listening, and if you are LDS... Uh, please do some investigation. Uh, don't just be, listen to or read what the church tells you. Uh, do some serious investigation, and you'll find that it's not true and it's not Christianity. Uh, my prayer for all LDS people is that they may come to know the Christ of the Bible, that they may become born again and be saved. Again, thanks for listening and God bless. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Faith Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe so you never miss an episode. A new episode goes live every Wednesday. If you have questions, comments, have suggestions for a future episode, or if you would like to be a guest, you can contact me through my website, genecurl.com. Remember, it's Gene like the unit of biological heredity and curl like a curl on your head. Please leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, or whichever streaming service you use. God bless you and keep you till the next episode.